Well, as expected, deflation in China, not good for them. But what about for the rest of us? US inflation numbers today. Could Chinese deflation bring it lower? Meanwhile, gas and oil are up. The potential strike action in Australia is having an impact as far afield as Europe, whilst oil, well, is it just the soft landing that's keeping prices up? And Australia versus New Zealand, we're still spending, they've stopped. Does that signal the different approach uh, by the respective central banks from here on in? It's Thursday, the 10th of August, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. And happy birthday to my daughter today. Not that she's going to be listening because we don't have much of a following amongst 15-year-old girls for some reason. I don't know why that would be. Maybe it's because they don't really care too much that the US dollar is down ever so slightly on the DXY, but up again against the Japanese yen. It's up another 0.2%. So since the dip on July the 13th, it's up over 4.1% on the yen. Elsewhere, the euro is up 0.2%. The Aussie is down 0.1%. The pound down 0.2%. In fact, as the AFR pointed out yesterday, we are near a 14-year low for the Aussie against the euro. So European holidays are getting that much more expensive. Uh, U.S. stocks are down. The Dow is 0.5% lower. The S&P down 0.6%. The Nasdaq has lost 1.1%, losing quite a bit of ground in the last hour of power. But European shares are up 0.7% for the Eurostox 50, 0.8% for the FTSE 100. Smaller yield moves uh, today for bonds. Uh, 10-year treasuries down one basis point. The same for 10-year gilts in the UK. UK, uh, The German uh, 10-year bonds up three basis points and the same across most of Europe. Oil is pushing higher, 1.8% for WTI, 1.6% for Brent, which is over 87.50 a barrel. It did get over 88, which is the highest since January. And a surge in natural gas prices in Europe as well, up almost 40% at one stage, because fears that that strike in Australia at Chevron and Woodside is going to disrupt supplies to Europe. Dutch gas futures still up about 30% right now. So let's talk about that, first of all, with NAB's Rodrigo Catrill. So quite a response to this strike action. I mean, the strike action has been voted for we don't actually know even when it's going to happen but it just shows doesn't it how responsive the energy market is to news like this yes and sensitive i think that the the closer we get to the northern hemisphere winter uh, that degree of sensitivity is also going to increase um you know we all know that europe has been increasing its ability to stock up uh, and inventories yeah um, and this is going to take uh, it down if, potentially yeah it's going to take them down and also so those inventories are not going to be enough to, to take you through the winter. So you're going to have to carry on buying during the winter. Um, and that's when the, you know, everybody else will, will be willing and wanting to, to buy as well. So, so that's going to put pressure on it. And if you have a cold winter, that's where things get a little bit complicated. So it certainly just highlights, um, that this issue around supply of energy, particularly during winter is, is remains an issue as the, you know, consequences from the Ukraine Russia conflict. Um, and, and that Europe in particular is, is a bit more exposed than others. Um, you know, there's a sort of general sense that maybe Japan is a little bit more organized in terms of, um, its ability to, to access those energy levels. So, so it's, it's certainly the focus around Europe and, and whether they'll have enough or whether they'll have to, you know, restrict uh, um, you know, activity in order to get through the winter. Yeah. And oil uh, up for a different reason. There'll be a big increase in crude inventories uh, in the US, up 5.8 million barrels last week, which is way more than expected. But even so, uh, oil prices still pushing higher. And that is, I guess, that is just the soft landing, isn't it? I mean, there are some still predicting $100 by the end of the year. I mean, Brent is up 20% since the end of June. Yes. And, and the technical pictures will place into that as, as you, you're approaching the, the high 80, 80 levels. 
Um, the many are looking, you yeah. know, if he, if he breaks through that, then uh, it opens the door for bigger moves. So um, certainly this idea that, you know, the U.S. in particular is doing better. And and the, the big sort of swing factor still there in terms of how much of a fiscal support China will deliver uh, and provide a little bit of a, um, you know, uptick in terms of activity that we're seeing in China as well. So um, uh, there's still quite a lot of uncertainty around that, of course, uh, but um, at least those cutting supplies that, uh, you know, OPEC and friends have introduced are certainly playing out and, and, and being very price supportive at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, the need for more fiscal stimulus from China was evident, wasn't it, with the inflation numbers, which came out as expected in that it's a, a deflation rate rather than inflation rate. So prices falling by 0.3%. Uh, not quite as far as expected for year on year because, uh, but because month on month prices did actually rise a bit. But look at PPI producer prices. They fell more than expected. 4.4% year on year. That's the size of the fall. Um, so I'm still better than the annual figure for June, which was 5.4% down. So mixed, but I mean, not good, is it? Prices falling. But I just wonder whether, I mean, not good for China and perhaps it pushes that need for a fiscal stimulus even more because you've got a, an, a slowing economy with prices falling. But, I mean, could the rest of the world benefit from that? Because obviously, you know, there's a potential they could be exporting some of that deflation, which could help uh, contain inflation elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, lots of questions there, Phil. So let's, so let, let, let me try to digest that one. I'll, so, I'll just go off and have a coffee now. You finish off the rest <laughs> of this episode. Um, so first of all, yes, I think the headline is that we have consumer and producer prices uh, falling, I think, for the first time since 2020. Um, looking at the details, uh, the, the picture is not as bad as the headline may suggest. Um, for in particular, when you look at uh, CPI and the decline in CPI, um, we saw sharp declines in food prices, particularly for pork prices, which had jumped um, over 20% uh, in July last year. So if you look at the core reading of inflation, it's actually, you know, a little bit strong. Um, it rose 0.4% year on year to 2.8 uh, to 0.8. Uh, and that's the highest reading uh, since January, for instance. So um, also, you know, uh, we're still seeing the services inflation, um, um, you know, part of the reopening uh, and, and it gained 1.2% uh, in July. Now, that's, you know, a good story in the sense that the numbers are positive, but it's still very, very soft numbers. Um, you know, if you think about services inflation in, um, in other countries, in Australia and, and Europe and so on, the whole reopening, we've seen inflation numbers, uh, services inflation numbers jump above 6% here in Australia uh, and, and so on in other places even higher. So um, services inflation in a reopening dynamic in China at 1.2% is very, very anemic. Um, but it does suggest uh, that, uh, you know, we're not or China is not necessarily going into deflation spiral at this stage. Uh, core inflation tends to be a very good guide in terms of what to expect um, or uh, the, you know, the direction of inflation in coming months and quarters. And it does suggest that we will see a little bit of a, um, a bottoming, if you like, in terms of those low readings of inflation. And as you say, it still means that, you know, the, the, uh, the government needs to provide more support in order to, to increase activity at the moment. Um, you don't want to have you know, negative prices, uh, because negative prices um, from a consumer perspective, uh, you know, makes the consumer even more reluctant to spend because they think, oh, well, if I wait, prices will decline even further. And similarly for investors um, or companies, they, they also 
start looking at, well, if I can't lift my prices, then I'll, I'll reduce my investment and my output as well. So there's a need to make sure that you don't get that deflationary mindset. And, and uh, as you say, it does provide yet another reason why we need to see more fiscal support uh, coming from China. Yeah. All right. So on the exporting deflation story, though, or moderating inflation. Ah, uh, yes. Um, now, so from a, so, so there's two things. One, you know, China, of course, um, exports a lot of goods, and and that is a deflationary factor, and, and and positive for you know central banks that are looking for low inflation. Uh, but at the same time, it also, it also creates an, an environment of you know creating more. Um, uh, China becomes more competitive and, and could could increase market share, for instance. So um, I think that there's a two-edged uh, aspect to, to this. Sure, there's a little bit of goods disinflation, which is already in place, and maybe that's not what we need. What we're looking for is the decline in services inflation, and, and the China deflationary dynamics are not really going to help on that. Um, and I think that some, including the Europeans, for instance, are very concerned about their market share that uh, China is already gaining and, and they're trying to, to find ways of, you know, making it a little bit harder for them to, to, to continue to gain share in that, in that regard. Right. A few numbers out which sort of uh, show the confusing picture of where we are in housing and construction around the world right now. So we saw a 6.1% increase in building permits in Canada with numbers out yesterday, whereas mortgage applications in the US down 3.1%. In fact, the 30 year mortgage rate pushing higher from 6.93% to 7.09% last week so that's going to put off uh, people uh, making new purchases isn't it and we get uk house prices today well we get the the house price balance which is not quite the same thing because it's expected to be down by 50 percent. but that doesn't actually mean house prices have halved in the uk it's just it's the net effect isn't it from people who are expecting house prices to rise versus those who are expecting them to fall basically yes it's, it's the diffusion index which you know tells you mm. you know on average whether it is more declines or, or more rise and I, and I think it's, it's a general sense kind of neutral or the expectations are for a neutral outcome in, the, in, the, in that sense uh, but certainly the, the the focus around the housing market is, is one of those dynamics, you know, we know the dynamic in the US is really around new housing, uh, given the, the lack of stock. Here in Australia, immigration is playing a, a big role in terms of supporting uh, house prices in addition to, to the lack of supply. So there's, there's a more, more than one dynamic playing out, but of course, higher rates are, are making it harder for funding. Um, and, and it's, it's a hindering factor in terms of those, that dynamic. Now we've seen a fall in the increase in consumer spending, uh, in New Zealand. So the electronic retail card spending was up 2.2% year on year to July, which is well down on the 4.2% increase the month before, uh, with actually no growth in spending month on month in June. Now we can compare that with NAB's own transaction data for consumer spending in July, and that was up half a percent month on month. And the revision to June's, which was uh, now up 0.9% month on month. So it seems like, you know, spending has really slowed down in New Zealand, less so in Australia, which is interesting because that sort of reflects where we're expecting the two central banks to go, isn't it? Yes. And, and I think it's a, it's a reminder of where we are in terms of this process. Uh, I think New Zealand and the IBM said are, are well ahead in terms of their the medicine, if you like, that the central bank wants us to, to take in order to cool down the economy. And, and we're certainly starting to see evidence that that is taking effect in, in New Zealand. Whilst here in Australia, although the RBA has a very sort of a patient approach to all of these dynamics, uh, the data is telling us otherwise. You know, the NAP survey is still pointing to those price pressures. Uh, and now these this other monthly insights from NAB is also showing that the consumer spending is still pretty resilient. We've got to remember that the retail numbers here in Australia are very much goods intensive. 
Um, whereas a broader measure of spending is telling us that still, you know, the, the consumer is still uh, spending both in discretionary and non-discretionary categories. So um, it plays to the view that um, we're a little bit behind in terms of those dynamics uh, that New Zealand is already experiencing in terms of cooling the economy. And, and it still points to the risk that the RBA probably still has a little bit more work to do um, over coming months. Yeah, so, I mean, that difference, RBNZ perhaps finished now, but, you know, at least one more hike from the RBA, that's playing out in the bond markets, isn't it? And the, the spreads that we're seeing between New Zealand and Australia. Yes, and, and it's not just that this idea that maybe there's one more hike in, in, in Australia, but the idea that rate cuts really are, are coming sooner sometime next year in, in New Zealand mm. and, and we still got to wait a bit longer here because of those dynamics in terms of inflation. Right. Now, uh, we get the Australian consumer inflation expectations today, 5.2% last time. So what does that actually mean and does anyone actually pay any attention to that number and, and why? There's three questions for you. <laughs> uh, well, inflation expectations are important from a central bank perspective. Uh, one of the things that the RBA has been arguing uh, or two things, if you like, is that we are different. Uh, we are different because we are not seeing the kind of wage spiral uh, dynamics that we've seen in other parts of the world. Wages have increased very slowly here in Australia. So that's one of the reasons why the RBA can afford to be patient. And the other one is that inflation expectations have remained relatively contained. So we haven't seen this big spike in inflation expectations. Now, the consumer one um, and the, the inflation, uh, consumer inflation expectations in Australia um, is not a number that everyone follows, but it, it is notable that it has been ticking a little bit higher again. Uh, it had been declining and then it ticked up a little bit um, and it's above 5%. So it'll be interesting to see whether you know it continues to rise from here as well. Right. Okay. And of course, the biggie today, uh, save the best till last, US inflation, which is out late tonight, Aussie time. Uh, the core uh, last time, of course, much higher than the headline rate at 4.8%. And it's not expected to come down, but the headline rate might actually push higher, which actually might attract headlines, mightn't it, even if it doesn't phase the Fed particularly or uh, all the markets. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's the it's the year-on-year -year number that will tick higher because of those base effects. So um, <clears throat> it, it might create a little bit of volatility on the day, but we think that the market should look through that, that uh, dynamic. Uh, and as you say, the, the important reading will be that month-on-month, -month, particularly on the core one, um, which is expected to print a, a low 0.2%. So if that's the case, it will, you know, vindicate the position that the market is sort of leaning towards at the moment that, you know, for one, that the, the Fed is more likely to be done and that rate cuts are coming next year, which is, you know, the one notable dynamic around that is that now we're starting to listen or hear from central, from Fed speakers talking about the potential or the likelihood that maybe, you know, rate cuts could be part of the equation next year. So it's certainly that shifting dynamic. Um, and they, of course, that is all because of those, those inflation prints that we have uh, seen of late. And then jobless claims as well also tonight. I mean, that is moving very slowly. Uh, so we'd assume, uh, you know, perhaps not any great moves. And look, if, if we're looking at a soft landing for the US, then it really, we, you know, we, we, we're not expecting a big increase in jobless. We're just seeing less jobs available. I mean, that is like the um, the Goldilocks approach to the jobs market, isn't it? So hopefully that's the way it's going to play out for them. Yeah, no, that's right. And And if anything... I would say that, you know, those job, jobless numbers and, and the risk to CPI figures uh, tonight is that maybe the numbers are not as soft as you expect. And, and, and that could create a little bit of a, a bigger reaction, I would say, uh, rather than a number in line or softer. So that's probably the, the, the thing to watch out for. Right. OK. Uh, well, two things to drive markets tonight. Uh, we'll watch with interest. Good to talk, Rodrigo. Cheers, Phil. Catch you again later. Cheers. 
And, of course, we'll be all across those CPI numbers tomorrow morning on the morning call. So join me for that at the first of two podcasts tomorrow, because, of course, on Friday afternoon, we release our weekend edition as well, which is going to be Gemma Dale this week, looking at the Australian share market. That's it for me today, though. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you in the morning.